Blog Talk Radio. Listen to me, because I really don't care no more about what anybody thinks. Because if we're going to go down this road and make a covenant, we can't make another covenant with death. You said, Tavis, what is that word about promise? What the, Barbara Jordan, what the American people want is simple. They want an America as good as its promise. Well, America is no good at all. If you have made a promise that you don't keep, what are you? You are a liar. Did they promise the Native Americans? Did they write it in treaties? Did they fulfill it? Did they promise us 40 acres and a mule? Did they fulfill it? Brown versus the Board of Education. 50 years later, here's the promise. Is it fulfilled or are we still in segregated schools? The right to vote. You got it? But the minute they gave it to you, they were finding ways to take it back from you. Can't you open your eyes and see the house is burning? We are dying every day, and we're in a hell of a condition because we've made a covenant with a government that is death itself with a people that have lied to us, deceived us, and murdered us, and rubs us good on one side and kicks us in the behind on the other. You are a deceived people. If you don't have the testicular fortitude to say what needs to be said, then sit down and stop trying to say you speak for our people and the hurt of the poor. Now I close. Excuse me. I think I'm getting excited. I applaud this covenant. But it demonstrates our impotence. Because in many of the chapters, it keeps going back to not only what we do, but really, we start looking to the same liar that has continued to promise but never fulfilled. And that's why God said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive your sins and heal your land. So don't look to them, look to God, look to yourself, Break your covenant with hell and death, then make a covenant with black America and let's help implement a road map that will free us and the whites that will be freed can be freed by this. The Mexicans, the Hispanics can be freed by this road map. We are universal people. But those at the top, they're on their way to hell. And if I got any power, I want to push them into hell as fast as I can. Good evening. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Show. Here at TruthWorks Network, 
where the truth must be spoken more than once. Oh, what a fine week we've had here. What a um, productive week we have had. What a productive week we have had. I've had a little a little um, background noise going on here. Uh, that door, my front door alarms when people come and go. And when I tell them I'm on air, they simply ignore it and keep coming and going. I guess I'm going to have to lock my door. But um, moving on, let me say this. We've had a week um, that has yielded some more clarity to this illegitimate man in the White House. We've not had a week where Democrats seem to have the confidence to attack this man full force. Now his personal lawyer, his um, fix-it man, has blown the whistle on him, saying that he knew about the meeting. And if you didn't think that he knew about this meeting, you got to be a damn fool. You have to be a fool. When they tell you, use your common sense, that should have been the first thing you did. Use your common sense. There's nothing that goes on in this narcissistic, bully, strong man world that he doesn't know about. The fact that he didn't know about this meeting between his son, his campaign manager, and his son-in-law is ludicrous. It's beyond the pale. Don't get out in front of your skis and think that somehow this man has a story to tell that basically says he didn't know. Find it. Reach back in your back pocket under that dirty towel or wherever the hell you got to pull it out from and resurrect your common sense. And every Democrat should do the same thing. Resurrect your common sense. If you can't make the case with facts and the truth, what in the hell are you good for? If you can't stand with the truth, how are you going to stand for the working class the middle class, the poor and people of color. What do you do? How do you proceed? There is low-hanging fruit here for not hypotheticals, for fact-based hypotheticals. There is a difference. And if you don't know the difference, let me lay the difference out for you. One hypothetical is that the dossier is no good and that um, the, uh, uh, what is it, the, um, the FIFA uh, ruling to put this uh, surveillance on this clown who's a confessed Russian agent, somehow was done through bias by 10 Democrats. That's the hyper, hyperbole and hypothetical that is full of crap. 
It has no basis or foundation. If you've got a hypothetical and you that you can advance that says, his lawyer says he knew about the meeting. He's a strong man. He's a narcissist. Nothing goes on in his world without his knowledge. And if you can't continue to beat that drum and make that case that this man knew about this, if you allow the media to come in and say, well, we don't know, we don't, use your common sense. And that should be the narrative coming from not just one Democrat, not just two Democrats, not just five Democrats. Every Democratic elected representative should be rushing a microphone and a camera to make that narrative. You see, what he does, he primes his base. He keeps his base in a flux, in an uproar with lies. And if you can't incite and put enthusiasm behind your base with the truth, what good are you? And you will lose the argument every time. Why? Because you won't engage these people. You won't engage these liars. And that is a must. That is what you have to do. And you have to do it constantly. You have to do it repetitiously, and you have to do it ad nauseum. You have to get your message out. You have to set the table. You, they should be setting the table on the child separations. Now the government claims that they've reunited 1,800 families, but there's another 651 children that may be unreunitable because the government's half-handed way of going about this. ICE is under attack because of Donald Trump. ICE was doing one job. Donald Trump has infused them with the bigotry and racism to do genocide, to do Nazi work. That's the type of BS they did in Nazi uh, Germany. That's the type of BS they did with slaves. They took their children. They separated the families. If you can't connect those dots and hang it around the neck of the Republican Party, all of them, not just some of them, all of them, because look at where the investigation has gone. The NRA has been funneling money into the Republican Party through a foreign source, which is Russia. You already have the connections. You already have the NRA setting up gun rights. Now, get this. There is no gun rights in Russia. Putin won't allow it. So what in the hell is the NRA doing there, aside from currying favor and allowing the Russians to enter our political system. That should be the next narrative. The Parkland kids who are protesting guns, they shouldn't just be protesting guns. They should be protesting the NRA and their culture of Russian, I would call it disenfranchisement, because that's what it is. 
you have vehicles that the Russians are using to infiltrate America. And the Democrats won't label these people unpatriotic and even traitors. If the shoe was on the other foot, the clarion call from Fox News would be Democrats want our traitors. And look at what look at what Donald Trump says about the Democrats. They want MS thirteen. They want illegal you know, just lies. Just lies. He is projecting, he is framing the narrative about you. He is framing the who you are to his constituents. And they are more than willing to take it, to accept it. And I posted in the chat room one of the newer stories, and that's for soybean farmers. These soybean farmers have to be the stupidest people. And when I say, I say they're the stupidest people because, the story in um, in the article was in Raw's story. They're taking a tremendous hit on their crops. A lot of them are about to go out of business. But they're going to stick with their man, the man who has ruined their livelihood, regardless. And they're going to keep the faith and still support him as he doles out nickels and dimes. Nickels, just nickels and dimes for their loyalty. Politics has no place for loyalty. Politics has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you're going to be submissive To someone who has lied to you constantly, a creator of crisis. So we are going to support him, even though he's about to destroy our livelihood. These are the kind of stupid mother, whatever, that Trump's fools. He created this crisis with his tariffs. And when the other countries retaliate, he blames the other countries for tit for tat. The Chinese are so unfair. No, you're the one that started this. And when he starts it now, he wants to ride to the rescue by bailing out the farmers with $12 billion. Let's see, what could he do with the $12 billion other than bail out farmers that he basically caused. He started this and now it's jumped up to bite him in his ass. Let's see. He could have replaced all of the pipes in Flint, Michigan. And to ensure people of color of clean, clear drinking water. Nope, he didn't do that. That twelve billion could have been placed into uh the Affordable Care Act. But rather than that, he chooses to sabotage it, to bring it down. These are the things that Democrats need to be campaigning on. These are the things that they need to be shouting about and proclaiming that they will 
open up investigations to get to the bottom of this if they can take the house back. This is not rocket science. This is not about who you like, what they've done. This is These are the facts. If you don't set the table, he will run away with the table. He encourages, he incites, he infuses his base with BS constantly on a daily basis. And the only thing Democrats do is sit there because they don't seem to have a, a common knowledge that you have to fight him the way he's fighting you. He received a healthy economy, not a fledgling uh, the way we want it, but his unemployment he received was five point whatever the hell it was. Job growth for some 80-something months. All of that has simply continued. And with his tax cuts for the wealthy, what they have done is receive more profits. So the GDP will rise automatically. So now he's out to take credit for the rise in the GDP and an excellent economy that he all that he inherited. That he inherited. He creates crisis like DACA. He created the DACA crisis. Pointed the finger to the Democrats because they wouldn't go along with his plan. And Democrats sat silent, all the while inciting, infusing his base. Child separation, that blew up in his face. Then he wanted to blame Obama, inciting and infusing his base as the Democrats I won't say they said silent because some of them were pretty um, vocal about the horrific child separation. The Muslim ban, he broke that. Then he tried three times to get it past the courts where he stopped using Muslim ban, even though the audio and the video was still out there. Him calling it a Muslim ban. The right-wing leaning Supreme Court sided with him. The new guys that he put in. Five to four decision. It was a Muslim ban from the beginning. It's still a Muslim ban. The right-wing judges that he's stacking the courts with are coming down in narrow five to four decisions. This, These are the things and the reasons I voted for Hillary Clinton. Not because I like Hillary Clinton. She's got fault, fault, fault. She was the lesser of two evils. She was a lot less evil than this SOB we got now. And that political reality should never be the enemy of critical thinking. 
and that's what's wrong. That's the part of the story where most people just can't get their heads around. You can't seem to get your head around. There's nothing we can do about the policies in the black community and uplifting the people in the black community if we are being choked out by national policies. The one thing Hillary Clinton gave to the African-American community was the ability to grow. Donald Trump has sniffed it in the bud. He's, he's basically incited more bigotry. How many people have white folks called? How many times have they called the cops on black folks? How many? This is what he brings. This is the political reality that is now. And I, I, I just can't, I just can't emphasize more enough. I can't emphasize enough the difference between these two evils. I'll take Hillary Clinton any day. Nine two nine four seven seven two eight six seven is the number that I can be reached. If you agree with me, call me. If you disagree with me, call me. The one thing I won't entertain is what about is this. The one thing I won't entertain is the what about this and what about that. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about people who are willing to bring us the news, real journalists, real journalists like Rachel Maddow, real journalists like Lawrence O'Donnell. All of these people have some type of flaw. Everybody's got skeletons in their closet. But if they're telling me truthful things, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to get needed information about what the situations are. I talked to you and I spoke to you last week about things that Democrats should be campaigning on and things that Democrats should be saying if we take the House back this is what we'll do this is what we'll do that's all you have to do that's all you have to do But it doesn't appear that um, they're trying to do that. It doesn't appear that they want to do that. It doesn't appear anything. Something to do. Here's some. Here's some things on something to do. In March, the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI issued a joint alert. This March, 2018 announcing that Russian government cyber actors were targeting critical infrastructure in the U.S. Uh, this wasn't about Russia attacking our elections and political parties. Uh, th this alert from March was that the Russian government 
was using its hackers to target America's energy sector, our, quote, commercial facilities, and our nuclear sector. How about Congress hold hearings to investigate that? That seems like a serious thing, and that seems like something Congress could do right now if they were so inclined, if they wanted to help find a way out of this national security crisis we, we find ourselves in right now. There's a whole bunch of super practical, super specific stuff Congress could do if they're looking for ideas. Here's another idea, free for nothing. Last month in Singapore, President Trump surprised everyone by announcing unilaterally that he had agreed to cancel joint U.S. military exercises between the U.S. military and our allies in South Korea. Now, this is not a concession that he traded North Korea. It's not like he got something from North Korea for that. This is just something he unilaterally offered. We later learned that not only had the president not consulted South Korea about the fact that he was going to make that announcement, he hadn't consulted the U.S. military about that before he made that announcement. We know from Wall Street Journal reporting several months ago that canceling, the canceling of U.S. military exercises with South Korea is something that President Trump was actually asked to do by another world leader. According to the Wall Street Journal, Vladimir Putin had asked President Trump to cancel those joint exercises last year in a one-on-one -on -one phone conversation. How about Congress holding hearings on that massive policy change and its national security implications and how that policy change came about? Who was consulted on it? How was the president advised? Where did that idea come from? Several days before that announcement from President Trump, the president again surprised everyone with his announcement that it's the new position of the U.S. government that the G7 should become the G8 again. They should invite Russia to be part of that group again. Never mind all the reasons why Russia was kicked out in the first place. Russia should be back in that international alliance now. That is something that would obviously suit Russia very well, but apparently, again, there's no indication that anybody else in the U.S. government was part of that decision or was consulted about it or even had noticed from the president that he was about to make that radical U-turn in U.S. policy and announce it publicly. That's a radical change in an important U.S. policy. How about holding congressional hearings on where that policy change came from? Right? Where did the president get that idea? How were other foreign policy and national security officials in our, in, gov in our government involved in that shock announcement? And if they weren't, why not? If Congress is feeling up to it, they might consider holding a hearing on why senior White House official Jared Kushner took a meeting during the presidential transition with the head of a sanctioned Russian bank who personally has a Russian intelligence background. The White House and that bank have given conflicting explanations as to why that meeting happened, so we don't really know why that meeting happened. I mean, that was a soon-to-be White House senior official meeting with a sanctioned Russian entity, and we don't know why. How about a hearing on that? I mean, Yesterday, literally on the same day, the criminal complaint was unsealed against a Russian citizen who's accused of using the NRA as a conduit to influence U.S. political leaders on behalf of Russia. Literally on that same day, the Treasury Department and the Trump administration announced new rules that would allow the NRA to stop disclosing its donors to the IRS. Right amid these red-hot concerns and, and what appears to be open federal investigations into whether the NRA might have not just been used as a conduit for Russian influence, but potentially as a conduit for Russian money into the presidential election. On that same day, we learned that a Russian spy was being criminally accused of having pulled that off. That's the day the Treasury Department announces, no, no, we no longer need to have any sort of window into what money is flowing through the NRA and where it came from. I mean, if Congress was looking for something constructive to do here, instead of sending sad tweets, they could set about 
stopping the Treasury from making that change. If they're too scared to investigate anything directly related to the Trump administration, maybe Congress could just be persuaded to investigate themselves a little bit in this scandal. I mean, in the indictment from Friday, all those Russian military officers indicted, prosecutors alleged that a candidate for U.S. Congress solicited and received stolen, hacked information from Russian military intelligence about his or her opponent in that congressional election. Reasonably speaking, you might think that the House Ethics Committee could look into a charge like that, especially once it's included in a, an unsealed federal criminal indictment. Right? The Justice Department is effectively saying that hacked information, presumably from the, the Democratic Campaign Committee, was stolen by Russia and then used in a congressional campaign because as stolen information, it was solicited by a person who was running in the general election for a seat in the U.S. Congress. Reasonably speaking, you might think that the Ethics Committee in Congress could hold a hearing or two on whether any serving member of Congress solicited that stolen information from Russian military intelligence and thereby knowingly benefited from that stolen information to secure their own election. I mean, that's a person who was in the general election who either won that seat or lost it. If that's a sitting member of Congress, shouldn't the Ethics Committee look into that? Whether or not that person knew it was Russian military intelligence he or she was soliciting the information from, soliciting stolen information to try to win your election, that's illegal. Right? Pick one. All of these things are specific, doable, totally within Congress's comfortable wheelhouse. Any of these things could be put in motion at any time. I mean, you and I may occasionally feel helpless as citizens here in the midst of this crisis, but you're in Congress? Boy, there's a lot of stuff you could do. Take your pick. I mean, here's another example. One thing Congress has been sort of willing to act on in the Trump era is enforcing and levying new sanctions against Russia, right? Even when the Trump administration objects to that. Well, here's one. Last year, Michael Isakoff reported at Yahoo News with multiple on-the-record named sources that basically in the first days of the Trump administration, they tried to unilaterally get rid of Russia sanctions. Quote, top Trump administration officials, almost as soon as they took office, tasked State Department staffers with developing proposals for the lifting of economic sanctions, the return of diplomatic compounds, and other steps to relieve tensions with Moscow. It was all done in the earliest days of the Trump administration, unbeknownst to the public. Congress, even this Congress, reportedly does care about sanctions on Russia. How about a hearing on what happened there with the other echelons of the Trump administration, the brand new White House, brand newly arrived in Washington, ordering their first staffers at the State Department to figure out how to get rid of those sanctions on Russia, unbeknownst to the public? How about a hearing on that? Congress cares about sanctions. Do you care about trying to undermine sanctions? I mean, there's stuff to do. We are not beetles on our backs, moving our legs with no way to flip over. <laughs> There's work to be done here. If you actually want to help this country get out of this national security crisis, your hands are not tied. 929-477-2867 is the number I can be reached. Those are just a few of the things that will be investigated if Democrats take the House back. This man is running this country as a business where he has the only say. Sanctions and lifting of sanctions and the dealing with sanctioned banks 
and the attempt to set up back channels, all of that puts our national security at risk. And these are the provable hypotheticals and conspiracies that Democrats must spend to keep their base enthused, excited, and on the hunt. Every single last regulation stripped that allows corporations to dump chemicals into drinking water. Every last regulation that has been lifted to allow the NRA to not uh, divulge where they get their money from. I tell, I'll tell you like this. The world doesn't revolve around Robert Mueller, but Robert Mueller's got a lot of things to say about what this president does and what this Republican Party is doing. 929-477-2867. If you are on the line, you must press 1 to be in the queue so I can know that you want to talk or that you just want to listen. If you don't want to talk and you just want to listen, do nothing. But that's how I know that somebody wants to have a word with me. But moving on. Moving forward. At each and every turn, there is a reason to vote Democratic. There is a reason to save our democracy. He invited Putin here. Putin said, no. Putin told him. And the Republicans told him that's not a good idea. So now Putin's inviting him. This man is wrapped around the finger of the Kremlin. This man is an illegitimate traitor. And when people talk about this meeting with the Russians and Russia, 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 get damn straight because it is being proven on a daily basis that this is how this man became president of the United States. And all of the whataboutisms will not dig us out. You can talk to me about when Democrats did this and when Democrats did that and the shortcomings of a of a tepid, weak Barack Obama. I voted for him twice. Twice. Because I hoped that he would see that these people mean him no well, no good. And that he would fight them back. I was wrong. He didn't fight them back. But right now, don't you wish you had a Barack Obama? Right now, don't you wish you had a Hillary Clinton? And if you didn't, if you don't wish it, Jill Stein's. This is another thing. Jill Stein's is under investigation. She's connected to all of this Russian. She's she's about as as useful an idiot as um, Donald Trump. She's connected to this, and her running mate. That may be his swan song because he hitched his wagon up 
she fooled him. I am convinced that she basically fooled him. I'm, I am convinced that he didn't do his homework. And there are entities out there that are basically pillaring him with the fact that he had his wagons hooked up to Jill Stein's, Vladimir Putin, and Assad in Syria. And that's what people need to understand. You see, ever since I was aware of Black Agenda Report, the one thing that I can honestly say, in my opinion, the only reason that they are there is to drag people down, black people down, in a purity test. If you don't adhere to their purity, they've got no use for you. They'll drag you down. They're right now they're attacking Sean King and I I don't know much about Sean King. But what the hell? I haven't heard him say a damn thing about Donald Trump. I didn't hear him when George Bush was president. They came to my view when Barack Obama became president, another black man that didn't meet their purity test. And Bruce Dixon in the crowd may be up for anything and maybe, but I don't hear it. I don't see it. I've heard nil, nothing, zippo about Donald Trump. They haven't been outspoken about the Russian conspiracy. They haven't been outspoken about the corruption at every level. The swamp is full of reptiles, gators, and poisonous snakes. His cabinet is full of Vladimir Putin Trojan horses. What was Tillerson, Rex Tillerson? Donald Trump didn't know Rex Tillerson. He had never met Rex Tillerson. He had never met Rex Tillerson. But Vladimir Putin didn't want Mitt Romney as the Secretary of State. So he told Donald Trump to bring in Tillerson. Rex Tillerson was fine. He used to be the CEO of Exxon who was in a multi-billion dollar oil deal with Russia, why wouldn't he be a great Secretary of State? Why wouldn't he be? He could easily advance their agenda. Tell me something good or tell me something I don't know. Donald Trump is an illegitimate traitor to this country. Donald Trump started the crisis with DACA and then came riding to the rescue. He started the crisis with uh, the nuclear threat of North Korea and then he Capitulates, get used, get owned 
and pretends and lies and says he's riding to the rescue. Donald Trump sabotages health care, trying to blow it up. And in the tariff wars and the turf, I mean, he he put the he put the um, I said tariffs. He puts the I'm looking for the word. I'm still searching for the, the tariffs on the countries. And when they respond, he says China is doing so. You started this. You can't now give the farmers $12 billion. That's $12 billion of socialism that you all so decry. Now he's being proven there's nothing more than an illegitimate traitor. And another thing to keep the progressives fired up is to simply say, We will turn this around. We will hold hearings. We will get to the bottom of this. Donald Trump should not be allowed to do Congress's job, and Congress is in charge of tariffs, and not Donald Trump without the consent of Congress. But Republicans run that both of those bodies and they're willing to allow him to have free reign. And I continue to say, that is un-American. That is wrong. So Democrats, sitting quietly, should be beating this drum. Now it's been exposed that Donald Trump knew about the payoffs. And <laughs> my hat has to go I have to take my hat off and tip my hat to Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' lawyer. He's basically a serious, how they, how would they say, how do the Italians say, he's a stone in my shoe. He's a serious stone in his shoe. Of Donald Trump Now Michael Avenatti says There's at least three more women Who have attained him Who has basically hired him as their lawyer And there's a pregnancy involved But that won't carry favor That won't move The so-called fake Christians Evangelical Christians They are fakes There's nothing religious about them The only thing that they have to hold on to Their idolatry is to bigotry, racism, and the fear of people of color. They're not Christians. Nothing about them says Christianity. They're white nationalists who are simply afraid and are simply constantly being stoked by a leader who forments racial divide, who traffics in fear and traffics in they're coming to get you, whether they're coming to get your job, 
whether they're coming to get your gun. And I got a question. With the immigration situation and all of the crops and all of the produce that is falling and rotting on the ground because there are not enough people to harvest, what's going to happen six, seven months from now when the price of food gets on the elevator and takes a ride to the penthouse, to the top floor. He's going to blame that because Democrats won't support some bill of his that will undermine what they stand for. And he's going to blame the Democrats again as they sit silently. That is my entire spiel. There is so much Absolutely so much for Democrats to campaign on, to unravel, to put to their base, infuse your base, incite your base, rebel rouse your base. 929-477-2867. Okay, I've got a caller here. 757, thank you for calling the Alpha Show. Welcome to TruthWorks Network. How you doing, Alpha? I, I got oh, a couple of questions. How's it going? How you doing? Go ahead. Look, uh, you say you want to do some critical thinking, so I'm, I'm going to ask you something. No. Wait I don't a minute, wait a minute. How going to be. Are you there? I said, I said, let's not allow political reality to be the enemy of critical thought. Yes. Okay. I say you say you want to you want to you want to you want to keep it at critical thinking and know what about is. And so I want to ask you a question. I don't understand how the blue wave is going to come about because all of the hoopla in the in the first three or four months of this year has been about the blue wave, and and uh, I tend to agree with the people over at Real Clear Politics while. The blue wave is concentrating on trying to win the House. The truth is, West Virginia, Indiana, Missouri, North Dakota, Montana, and possibly even Florida may go Republican, which means in the end, in the Senate, it'll be either 54-46 or 53-47, which means the, the Senate will be a solid GOP instead of having to have a tiebreaker with, with Pence. Now, I want to ask you this. How do you expect or how how do you see Congress doing anything that Rachel Maddow was talking about? When it's this is obvious. How I let, let, let me, I'm going to finish it, and I want you to explain it to me because I've been trying to understand it, and I've been even jousting a little bit with, with uh, Miss. Uh, uh, BJ about it on Facebook because it's known that Sessions was in on the Trump campaign. He was the first sitting senator to go with the Trump train. When Cruz dropped out of the race, the money that was behind Cruz actually took over the whole format of the useful idiot, the foil that we keep talking about Donald Trump. Donald Trump has no political agenda. He's all about money. So I don't even go along personally 
with the idea that people are giving him agency for having some type of agenda that he's ramming down our throat. When the facts show that for the six years of the, quote, obstructionism, that the GOP, Ryan and McConnell, have been practicing their agenda for six years. They were the minority party, but they still got all the press for all the bills they were trying to do to get rid of Obamacare, to do the tax breaks, to do whatever. And where we are today, we already know they hacked at a ACA, but they ran through over a trillion dollars in tax cuts. Now, the other thing, you say what I've heard before, that this $12 billion is socialism. And I'm saying no, it is capitalism at its best. The $12 billion cannot make up for the losses that he's created in soybeans and, and the farmers are coming out and telling you that. The, the farmers are coming out and telling you that. So he's doing exactly what Republicans have always done. When the, when a large segment of their their base raises up some ire, they give them enough to quiet them down. That's all the twelve billion is. So I don't see how it's socialism because socialism is for the good of the little man. So we got the same capitalism and subsidies that's been going on for corporate entities since I've been alive in America. So I'm trying to understand how this blue wave is supposed to come about. For instance, when when they try to make uh, Casio Ortiz, uh, uh, Alexandria, try to make her example for the whole country, and she run off to Kansas to try to to help with with uh, campaigning. She was in a unique district, and she's running against a Democrat. That I mean, she's running against uh, a state where the Democratic governor has operated as a GOP for the whole time he's collaborated with the GOP people in his in his state. So I'm still trying to understand how is this blue wave going to develop? And I and I don't go along with the mainstream media about this being no socialism for the twelve billion dollars. Because in truth okay. is all all of Trump's cabinet have ties and investment in Russia. They have no reason whatsoever to investigate themselves. I'll mute myself and listen to you offline for a sec. Okay, well I'm I'm gonna mute your your mic so you can hear okay. hear it, okay? All right. Now Otis has some questions and let me put it like this. Socialism. Let me start with that at first, socialism. What is the one thing that Republicans supposedly hate more than anything else? Socialism. The $12 billion that Donald Trump is offering these soybean farmers who are about to lose their crops and their jobs and their farms, this is socialism because it's a government handout. And it's a government handout to save them. Yes, it's very poor capitalism, very poor capitalism, because they're picking winners and losers. If you're going to pick that winner and throw them some crumbs, you see, the loss in soybeans is in the 
billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, and that $12 billion is nothing but some crumbs to make it appear like you have advanced their issue when, in fact, all you're doing is giving them a government handout. And that's what they believe socialism is. So that's where the socialism uh, mantra comes from. When you begin to talk about the blue wave, it only takes the re- recovery of the House of Representatives. Say that the Senate goes to a 54-46, nothing can get through if the Democrats control the House. We're not looking to get both chambers of the House back. Right now, you must stop the carnage. You must stop where this man is headed. If you take the house back, what happens? Maxine Waters becomes head of the investigation committee that can subpoena his tax returns. Bob Mueller already has his damn tax returns, but if Maxine Waters becomes the head of this committee, she can subpoena his tax returns. He has absolutely no sale. Number one, and all of the things that need to be investigated. The investigation should start with Deutsche Bank and the son of Supreme Court Justice Kennedy loaning Donald Trump how much? A billion? A million? $2.4 billion since 1998. And then off leaving the floor of the of the State of the Union, he stops and shakes Kennedy's hand and tells him to holler a high shout out to that son of yours. He's a great guy. I guess so. He's loaning you billions of dollars from a bank that has confessed to money laundering for the drug cartel, money laundering for the Russian mob. With the House in Democratic hands, the Deutsche Bank should be on a sanctions list and banned from doing any business with any American. But they were going soft on the bank. And when you start talking about the things, what about the back channels that was that have been established through the NRA, the the gun culture at the NRA? Rachel Maddow wasn't just throwing tidbits of nothings out there. These are things that the Democrats can do if they take the House back. If the Democrats can take the House back, they can put a screeching halt anything that this president wants to do. Take back the sanction deal. You see, when the when the Senate voted on the sanctions that he would not implement, even though it was law, even though it was law, he wouldn't follow the law. He would. He's not protecting our electric, our, our our elections. He's not protecting it. He's not protecting our infrastructure grids. They're wide open, and he's leaving them wide open. There are scenarios that the House controls 
that will stop this man in his tracks, that would not allow him to push everything through. So when you start talking about the blue wave, let me see. Since his election, we've flipped, flipped 52 seats, be it at state level, be it at the federal level. I think it's only been about four or five House seats. Right now, they need 23, 23 seats to change to take the House. We are well on our way. So if you seem to be in a little bit of disbelief about a blue wave, we only need that blue wave to wash up on the shores of the house to stop this man. And I would say, let's take that and let Robert Mueller do the rest. Because right now, he's in such a pickle as president. And then the House can basically do things like hold hearings to demand that all of, if once he's been shown, proven to be illegitimate, illegitimate, if you don't believe in Russia, 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 just wait a few months. You will in a couple of months. You will see the, the fact that you've got his fixer, his lawyer, someone who was in the room saying he knew about it. He knew about the meeting, which makes him what? An obstructor? A conspirator? Which makes him what? Impeachable? So what if the Senate won't convict him? You carry that into 2020. You see, you cannot always throw And unfixable. You can it's never out of reach. It's never out of reach. And I'll tell you, like I said last week, this is this is could very well be the last hope for people of color, for poor people, for working people to upright this sinking ship called democracy. No, democracy hasn't been great for black people. The hell do you think this is? Equality, an equal opportunity. There's nothing more, there's nothing further from the truth. This nation has never been an equal nation for black people. Black people are and have been suffering from PTSD for hundreds of years. And until we can Educate our own with truth. We've fallen for the lie because we didn't know any better. Martin fought for equality, thinking that that would get us over the, pull us over the line. But all it did was, as he said, he's afraid he led his people into a burning building. And it's still burning. And we still have absolutely nothing to show for it but a lot of gym shoes a lot of uh, culture wars with one another. Is my hair looking good? Is this a, Our people are miseducated. Uh, we as a people have basically been indoctrinated into this culture of white supremacy. 
shoot down as many black people as you can. How many times, how many incidents are we going to have to hear about that says the cops are Klansmen? They are ghost soldiers for the Klan. How many prosecutors are ghost soldiers for the Klan? How many times has a black man stood his ground in Florida and they charged him and sentenced him? Marissa Alexander, she didn't shoot anyone. She shot in the ceiling of a garage to save herself from a beatdown, from a threat. And she spent five years of a 20-year sentence because she couldn't get stand your ground in Florida. Talk about it. Tell me that you cannot get your head around. There are 42, 42 districts that are up in the House that Hillary Clinton won. Hillary Clinton won 42 districts that are up for re-election in the House. And you tell me we can't win at least 25, 26 of those? You're telling me that we're in worse shape and it's undoable, let alone the fact that you have a record number, 52, I believe, was the last count, of House of Representative members who have chosen to resign. Have chosen to resign rather than run again because of a Donald Trump. He is an albatross around their necks. And if that doesn't appear to be a ray of hope, don't win, don't win the house back. It's over. Don't win the house back. We may as well lose our voice because we will have lost the democracy. All the naysayers, all of the whataboutisms, fine. Meander down the road and say to yourself, um, you can't you you're no longer willing to fight. You are no longer willing to compete. Don't tell me about the gym shoe culture of this generation. The millennials are what will help us. The millennials is what will pull us over the line. If we can't believe, if we can't do what's necessary, the democratic silence is abominable. The mere fact that they won't campaign and fight for the things that they believe in. The strength of the GOP base. I like that, Otis, because the GOP base is about 30% of the nation. So, 70%, because he's losing independence. Do you think that the independence are siding with him when they see the carnage of child separations, when they see the carnage of tariffs, when they see the just 
inexcusable kowtowing to a Russian adversary like Putin? Do you think the independents are going to hang in there? Because those who do are simply, they were never independents. They were embarrassed Republicans who are still saddled with bigotry and fear and hatred for people of color. November is rapidly approaching. You're right. Only 50% of eligible voters vote. 591,500 have been purged from the rolls in Georgia. You see, voter suppression is something else. Russia, 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 you're damn right it's Russia. We can walk and chew gum. We can walk and chew gum. There are more of us than there are of them. The mere fact that they stick together solidly from fear and from bigotry has to be taken into account. You can't always poo-poo on an advantage. Don't offer me what about is. And there will be a reckoning. That's the day after the election. You can come to me with all the I told you so as you need. Because at that point, I will be done. I am telling you, I will be done. There will be no reason for me to try to promote a message. There will be no reason for me to do anything other than retreat to my little cubbyhole and live off what I've created. I don't get a dime for this. I don't offer myself up as basically knowing that uh, someone else is going to do the right thing. Yeah, that's why it's that's why it's socialism. The twelve billion. Do you know how much damage is being done to the farmers? Twelve billion is a drop in the bucket. I'm talking hundreds of billions of dollars that are being destroyed as the crops rot on the ground because there's no one to pick them. Not just the tariffs. The immigration scare that the fear that he has put, the don't come here or we'll destroy your family policy that Democrats can be touting. This is not who we are as a country, and it never has been who we were as a country. Immigrants have always been welcome. And tell me that those farmers down in, have you seen the pictures of the fruit and the produce and the Tomatoes and all of that other shit That's just laying on the ground rotten Because there's no one there to pick it All of that Has an effect on the price On our economy All of the tariffs That he's Basically employed These other countries Have run off to Argentina To Venezuela 
to get their soybeans from. And now their farmers' markets are booming, booming, because this idiot of a president wants to start a tariff war, a trade war. I'm not a big fan of NAFTA, but this man is too stupid to do it the right way. I wasn't a big fan of TPP, but now it's in the hands of China. And we allowed the corporations in the room and didn't allow the however shameless politicians in the room to help craft a better bill. And then when it's framed as detrimental to our society, what's detrimental to our society is that we've pulled out of the TPP without fixing it. What's detrimental to our society is that we've basically pulled out of the leaders of the world. We are no longer the leading entity of the world. Yeah, we might be the most prosperous, but that will collapse before your very eyes. Because what we are doing is not acceptable to the new world order. China is taking over. Russia is taking over. As we sit back and watch the infiltration of America with the help of the GOP. With the help of the GOP. If the shoe was on the other foot, that would be a daily message coming out of Fox News. The Democrats are helping the Russians take over America. How about that? And if you don't think Russia is taking over America, just sit a spell. Take your shoes off. Y'all come back now, here. Yeah? That's how it's going to go. If you don't understand that there's something wrong with you, you can tell me about what this one did, what that one did. All I can say to you and all I will say to you is there has to be a narrative that reflects what we need to reflect. And that is the common good. Donald Trump once said he identified with Ayn Rand's character, Howard Rourke, in The Fountainhead. An architect so upset that a housing project he designed didn't meet specifications, he had it dynamited. Others in Trump's circle were influenced by Rand. Atlas Shrugged was said to be the favorite book of Rex Tillerson, Trump's Secretary of State. Rand also had a major influence on Mike Pompeo, Trump's CIA chief. Trump's first nominee for Secretary of Labor, Andrew Puzder, said he spent much of his free time reading Rand. The Republican leader of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan, required his staff to read Rand. I grew up reading Ayn Rand. It's, it inspired me so much that I, it's required reading in my office for all my interns and my staff. Uber's founder and former CEO, Travis Kalanick, has described himself as a Rand follower. Before he was sacked, he applied many of her ideas to Uber's code of values and even used the cover art for Rand's book, The Fountainhead, as his Twitter avatar. So who is Ayn Rand and why does she matter? Ayn Rand, best known for two highly popular novels, still widely read today, The Fountainhead, published in 1943, and Atlas Shrugged in 1957, didn't believe there was a common good. 
She wrote that selfishness is a virtue and altruism an evil that destroys nations. When Rand offered these ideas, they seemed quaint if not far-fetched. Anyone who lived through the prior half-century witnessed our interdependence through depression and war. And after the war, we used our seemingly boundless prosperity to finance all sorts of public goods, schools and universities, a national highway system, and health care for the aged and poor. We rebuilt war-torn Europe. We sought to guarantee the civil rights and voting rights of African Americans. We opened doors of opportunity to women. Of course, there was a common good. We were living it. But then, starting in the late 1970s, Rand's views gained ground. She became the intellectual godmother of modern-day American conservatism. This utter selfishness, this contempt for the public, this win-at-any-cost mentality is eroding American life. Without adherence to a set of common notions about right and wrong, we're living in a jungle where only the strongest, cleverest, and most unscrupulous get ahead and where everyone must be wary in order to survive. This is not a society. It's not even a civilization because there's no civility at its core. It's a disaster. In other words, we have to understand who Ayn Rand is so we can reject her philosophy and dedicate ourselves to rebuilding the common good. The idea of the common good was once widely understood and accepted in America. I mean, after all, the U.S. Constitution was designed for we, the people, seeking to promote the general welfare, not for me, the selfish jerk, seeking as much wealth and power as possible. Yet today, you find growing evidence of its loss. CEOs who gouge their customers, loot their corporations, and defraud investors. Lawyers and accountants who look the other way when corporate clients play fast and loose, who even collude with them to skirt the law. Wall Street bankers who defraud customers and investors. Film producers and publicists who choose not to see that a powerful movie mogul they depend on is sexually harassing and abusing young women. Politicians who take donations, really bribes, from wealthy donors and corporations to enact laws their patrons want or shudder the government when they don't get the partisan results they seek. And a president of the United States who repeatedly lies about important issues, refuses to put his financial holdings into a blind trust, and then personally profits off his office and foments racial and ethnic conflict. The common good consists of our shared values about what we owe one another as citizens who are bound together in the same society. A concern for the common good, keeping the common good in mind is a moral attitude. It recognizes that we're all in it together. If there is no common good, there is no society. Now, and for the people who don't understand who Ayn Rand was. With all of this, only the strong survive uh, bullshit. Not call it bullshit because that's what it is. That's what conservatives have grasped a hold to. And that's what they forment, that's what they traffic in. Ayn Rand in her latter days was on Social Security. She took advantage of the government handouts. She was on her husband's Social Security. She basically was on welfare. But her narrative has always been only the strong survive. 
This is what has taken over this country, the conservatives out there. When people speak to me about conservatives, I have this uh, visceral dislike because those are the same people who talk about God and what God said and what the Bible said. These are the only people I know who demonize and vilify socialism, government, and then every damn Sunday they show up in a church and worship the biggest socialist, the biggest giver the world has ever known, and that was Jesus Christ. They're not Christians. They're fake Christians, an abomination to a religion that was stolen from the walls of Egypt and created the myths, the stories in the Bible. Why would we accept the Bible of our oppressor? Pure and simple. Why? And this is the problem that I have with these so-called Christians. This is the problem I have with these so-called conservatives. They are not for the common good. Everybody's not going to be rich. And a few more taxes is not going to hurt the rich. But let's not do that. Let's Let's use this ladder and climb to the top of the building with this form of capitalism. And let's turn around and pull the ladder up behind us so no one else can get to the top. That's what conservatism is. That's who they are. That's what they're about. They're hypocrites. They're liars. They will do any and everything to move into power. You could not fool yourself into thinking or into believing that they represent anything else. They tell you, they tell you, oh, we are for the veterans until they go and get the shit blown up on them and they come back wounded and broken, suffering from PTSD. Name me a war that didn't produce a majority of PTSD people. Name me one war that wasn't antithetical to what this country believes as far as taking care of his veterans. Hell, conservatives didn't even want to take care of the 9-11 first responders. 44,000 people die every year because they don't have access to health care. Then came the Affordable Care Act. And the Republicans wanted to get rid of that. That supersedes what Democrats have done or what Democrats have fallen short in doing. To me, that is the foundation by which I stand and which I oppose any and every Republican at any time, any day. I will oppose a Republican. Tell me something that is going to benefit people. Tell me something that you can't object to. 
There are things that you need to hear and things that need to be said that you just don't don't explain to me how you can dim my light. Offer up a solution. It's a life of hustle and survival. I remember when my my ninth grade teacher asked me, Lisa, what do you want to be when you grow up? And see, I have to fight the Harlem Crip 30s every day to get home from school, so I looked at her and said a lie. I took an English class. I got a fail in English. And my English teacher said in front of the entire class, Lisa, you have to be the weakest writer I've ever met in my entire life. Don't worry, my story is good. Don't feel sorry for me. I got seven under my belt. And then the same year my speech teacher said, after giving me a D minus, I knew I, I knew I had an A in speech. Like, come on. He obviously didn't agree with me. He gave me a D minus and said, quote unquote, Miss Nichols, I recommend you never speak in public, that you get a desk job. So here's the beauty of that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. Everything you've ever been through, set through, rolled through, cried through, prayed through, everything is a setup for your next best season. And the way you forgive the perceivingly unforgivable, the way you love the perceivingly unlovable, the way you accept what seems to be unacceptable, the way you embrace after you've been betrayed, the way you do that is the way you will lead us. Your light belongs to everyone who will be illuminated because you were bold enough and obedient enough to let your light shine. Yes, yes. And every time you cross someone's path and they can't handle your light, you know those people that they try to give you reasons why you should tone it down a bit. That they would tell Cheryl not to sing so loud. Right, right, right. They would tell me to shut up in class. They tell you you're kind of strange. You know those people, dream snatchers, vision busters. Don't be mad at them. They can only love you to the capacity in which they're able to love themselves. Don't be mad at them. Don't be mad at them. Pray for them. Love them. Because they're dealing with themselves like we're dealing with us. But I want you to remember that your 70 watts, your 70 watts has to be turned way up. Because you got way more to give us. It ain't over yet. Don't put a period where God put a comma. And when you turn it up to 159 watts, you know, you keep turning it up. You like, you stop dimming your light. You say today is the first day of the rest of my life. You turn it up. You're going to find people that can't handle your light. And before today, you might have dimmed your light. You might have shrunk a little bit. You might have tempered it down a little bit. But after today, I want you to see this. After today, turn the lights up. After today, you don't dare dim your light. As your light gets brighter, as your light gets brighter, you're going to disrupt some people and they're going to tell you your light's too bright, your light's too bright, your light's too bright, your light's too bright. Then you just look at them and say, well, I'm not dimming my light. I'm just going to hand you some shade. I like that particular piece because it speaks volumes. 
as to the approach. People will try to uh, dissuade you. People will try to do any and everything they can to dim your light. And if you let them, that's on you. If you don't understand the dislike of a Republican Party who's done absolutely nothing for working people, who've done absolutely, what have they they given, and it's been shown that their tax breaks, their tax breaks has gone to the top 1%, and they're buying back their stock with stock buys. You want to talk about the crumbs that they've given out? Millions of people have gotten a thousand dollars. Well, the the price of gas is going up. That's eating that up. The price of food is going up. That's eating that up. It's always a shiny object in front of an idiot's face that they will accept as some kind of reward for your support. Republicans have absolutely nothing to offer, but that's not the question of corporate media. The question of corporate media is, what are the Democrats are going to be for? They can't just be against Trump. The hell they can't. The things that this idiot is doing is destroying our democracy. You can rail against Trump. You can campaign against Trump. And if you don't know what Democrats are for, how about this? Democrats are for Social Security. Democrats are for voting rights, equal rights, civil rights. Democrats are for Medicare. Democrats are for Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act. Democrats are for the things that push our society forward. And the things that push our society forward are things that help people. And not just the rich. You see, the one thing that escapes is the fact that when the liberals advance and live well, everybody lives well. Everybody lives well. It's the Republican stupid. Period. It's the Republicans. And what Republicans are against are the things that we need as a people. Progressives, liberals, we're not talking about anti-women's health. We're not talking about anti-abortion. If you don't like abortions, don't have a damn abortion. But don't take away a woman's choice. Don't take away a woman's health care. Through, we're going to ban Planned Parenthood. And now we find out that Russia is funneling money through the NRA. Russia is funneling money through the GOP. This is what Citizens United has done. It's allowed foreign money. And you can argue about it and you can and poo poo it and you can tell me about what Democrats have done and what they haven't done. 
Citizens United has allowed foreign money and money, period, to basically portray themselves as speech. Money is not speech. Money is corporations. And corporations are not people. If you continue down this road, the demonization and vilification of what is, what do they call it? Uh, elitism? Uh, that is what you have to look out for. They have very, very successfully demonized. Demonized. Elitist. It's bad to just just like we do in our community. Just like black people do. It's all of a sudden inconceivable to be smart for black people. They cherish stupidity. They cherish ignorance. They cherish all of the things that will hold you down and keep you wanting. Intellectualism is not a crime. To be smart is not something that you should shrink from. But black folks don't know that. We as a people, we don't understand that. And until we do, we are nowhere are no ways on our way to a better way. You see, this is still a nation of white privilege. And they have successfully demonized and vilified things like affirmative action. Affirmative action would not be needed if this country lived up to its promise. They've demonized the race car. Well, the race car only exists because of the overwhelming evidence of racism. You demonize intellectualism. And I just want to get this in here right quick so that... uh, You'll understand better. The intellectual elite. Intellectual elite. Intellectual elite. The intellectual elite. Know-it-all, academic, soy latte, vegan, complete the Saturday New York Times crossword puzzle, coastal, kale, 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 intellectual elite. Why is intellectualism always equated with elitism? Maybe because in a time when facts don't matter and authority gets its strength from blind trust, knowledge isn't power, it's a problem. Maybe it's our puritanical roots, or maybe it's Fraser Crane, but Americans don't like intellectuals. That's why in American politics, not knowing much or appearing like you don't can be seen as a virtue. It shows that a politician is down to earth, relatable, someone you could have a beer with, or five beers with, or however many you had before you passed out and they drew a wang on your forehead. 
Anti-intellectualism is what made someone from one of the most elite families who graduated from one of the most elite universities appear to be of the people. To those of you who received honors, awards, and distinctions, I say well done. And to the C students, you too can be president of the United States. And then one day a war criminal. And of course, back then, no one could have imagined a more grotesque celebration of hawkish anti-intellectualism until the primaries of 2016. We won with young. We won with old. We won with highly educated. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. And that's just it. Trump loves the poorly educated because they're loyal. Just like peasants or beagles or Eric. They don't know any better. The less educated you are, the less capacity you have to think for yourself. And the less capacity to think for yourself, the easier it is to blindly place your trust in authority. And Trump was right to love the poorly educated because he went on to win the election in large part thanks to voters without a college education. He vastly outperformed Clinton in the 50 least educated counties in the country where people might not have minded a president who literally speaks at a fourth grade level. Trump's lack of adult vocabulary, or coherence, is part of the Republican brand, though, to distance themselves from the elite classes they are indeed a part of in order to gain the trust of the general public, who they ultimately plan to f*** over. And it's been happening for decades. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Yeah, don't trust anyone who knows what they're doing. Trust the guy from Bedtime for Bonzo, whose brilliant economic plan is just his name with nomics on the end. And hear how Paul Ryan peddles the same anti-intellectualism today. We do not believe that we should be governed by elites. We do not believe that there are experts or elites who should steer us in their preferred direction. Mm. So good to hear you support regular folks, Paul. I'm sure the Medicare for All iron worker Randy Bryce will appreciate your endorsement for Wisconsin's first district. Oh, hey, isn't that your district? One way the right equates expert knowledge with elitism is by painting higher education as the enemy. President Obama once said he wants everybody in America to go to college. What a snob. Next he'll want us all to have health care. And some of us don't want to have to wait 50 years to meet Jesus. But it's easy for the right to demonize higher education as elitist because college itself is so inaccessible. And instead of working to make it more accessible by lowering tuition and alleviating student debt, right-wingers make education even more expensive by gutting public schools in favor of expensive private ones. It's almost as if it's in some people's political interest to keep people poorly educated. I just described Betsy DeVos's job. Meanwhile, the GOP continues to parrot down-home working-class solidarity, which is mostly crap. For instance, that lunch that Santorum was speaking at was for Americans for Prosperity, the nonprofit group of libertarian Sith Lord billionaires, the Koch brothers, a group that regularly supports union busing and is vehemently against raising the minimum wage. Mmm, feel the solidarity. But please, go on, Rick. They're good, decent men and women to go out and work hard every day and put their skills to test that aren't taught by some liberal college professor and trying to indoctrinate them. And that, right there, is the second prong to the right's anti-intellectualism, painting higher education not just as elitist, but liberal. 
many universities are becoming bastions of liberal bias rather than institutions for higher learning. There's a bias in favor of liberal points of view on campuses that are run by government. It's a joke that these elite universities claim to be bastions of academic freedom when really they're only bastions of political correctness. Yeah, to the right, universities are bastions of political correctness because there are lessons on the French Revolution, gender studies, and consent. So it's no wonder that after all this bashing of college, one out of three Americans now thinks that higher education does more harm than good. Also, one in four Americans believes the sun revolves around the earth, which probably means two out of three Americans think college gives you skin cancer. And it is true that adults that are more highly educated have more so-called liberal thoughts on social issues and the environment. Things like climate change is real and universal health care will help people and other ideological nonsense, also known as facts. But the right combats these realities taught in universities by dismissing them all as simply overly sensitive political correctness that discriminates against conservative viewpoints. Take Charlie Kirk. This 24-year-old runs a group called Turning Point USA that professes so-called free speech on college campuses by, say, keeping a menacing list of liberal professors on its website. Listen to Kirk justify his campus crusade. Look, a university is supposed to be a place where disagreement, the free flow of ideas happen, right. where people can say, I, I respect your opinion, but I respectfully disagree. Universities are no longer those places. Time out. Charlie Kirk never actually went to college. Uh, why would he? He's on Fox. Time in. They are really islands of totalitarianism, where if you disagree with the faculty, the professors, the administration, or the left-wing students on campus, you can't respectfully disagree. You will be silenced, you will be suppressed, and you will be called a racist. Or, Charlie, you will be called a racist because it turns out your organization is pretty f***ing racist. The thing is, Turning Point USA does exactly what Kirk imagines liberal universities are doing. Propaganda. He admits to taking money from fossil fuel interests and then working against fossil fuel divestment campaigns. In fact, the right as a whole has had a way bigger hand in university education than they let on. Since the 60s, right-wing think tanks and private family foundations have poured billions into universities to promote free market thinking. There's the Olin Foundation, which started the conservative Madison program at Princeton and has supported right-wing ideologues from Samuel, Muslims Can't Do Democracy, Huntington, to Dinesh, Welfare is Slavery, D'Souza or the Bradley Foundation and its support of gutting Wisconsin's education budget. But please, please, Charlie, tell me about liberal totalitarianism. For decades, one percenters have worked hard to correct the liberal bias that comes with more knowledge, because they know that higher learning has been linked to beliefs in things like democracy, equality, deductive reasoning, and other stuff that makes you look at the Republican tax plan and go, Wait a minute. They hate that higher education, despite their best efforts, does not turn you into a mindless worker bee with a malleable brain and nimble fingers with which to assemble the robots that are eventually going to take your job assembling robots until one day you wake up and go, Hey, how come all the immigrants are taking my robot assembling robots job? Now listen. Call me a New York Times crossword puzzle, soy, kale, coastal, Fraser kale, elitist intellectual if you want. All I have is a bachelor's degree, a bunch of books I haven't read on my shelf, and my spirit animal is Cardi B. It doesn't take a genius to realize that the plan to simultaneously defund and then delegitimize education is a way to keep us all very dumb. To keep us shopping on credit, blaming immigrants, and hailing the biggest anti-intellectual of them all. So maybe stay in school and stay woke. Can I still say woke in 2018? Hey everyone, thanks for watching Newsbroke. I'm French. There you go.
elitism, intellectualism, that's a bad thing. Being smart for black people, that's a bad thing. Let's just keep them ignorant, miseducated, misinformed, and we'll all just be fine. 429-477-2867, the number that I can be reached. If you're in the phone queue, you must press 1. Put your hand up so I know you want to talk. If not, you can listen comfortably and not roll into the mosh pit of my conversation. Until then, let me get this. No matter what, know your value. No matter what, know you matter. The I Declare Show, home of Real Law Right Now Talk Media. Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show. Real, raw, right now, talk media. I Declare. The I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I Declare. It's real, raw, and right now. The I Declare Show with India Declare. That's the I Declare show. Friday nights, 8 o'clock Central Time, here at Blog Talk Radio. India Declare does a great job of bringing you a, basically the same format. She doesn't she doesn't hate Republicans like I do with a with a, a vitriol, and you won't hear the. I guess the vitriol coming from India as she does a show about Republicans. But you will hear it from me. So I'll say it and I'll continue to say it. What Republicans have done has turned elitism and college into some type of liberal bastion where their ideas are drowned out because they're so stupid and anti-people. What you heard with the anti-intellectual clip that I played was this is who they are. This is what they want. They want fewer voting. They want to bust us the idea that a minority can control the country regardless. If you don't understand one thing about who Republicans are, you need to just come here. And I can help you down that yellow brick road to find out who they are. When you hear them say, follow the yellow brick road, Come go with me. Put your hand in my hand and we can meander down this road together. Confederates. These people have no clue. 929-477-2867. That's the number I can be reached if you need to talk. 
You have to press one to show me on my board that you do want to talk. Or you can just sit there and listen. I appreciate both. I can't take myself far away enough from this narrative that somehow it's bad to speak to a common good for everyone. The demonizing of intellectuals, the demonizing of elitism, and they put them together and they do it repetitiously. They do it constantly. They do it all the time. And that's how you have to understand who these people are. And who Exactly. Who are the people on the farm? Let me get this in there. So crazy is is when I hear people, uh, you know, uh, particularly in the morning shows of MSNBC, you know, Stephanie Rule and these other folks talking about, uh, you know, the far left, you got to worry about the far left. The Democratic Party, had, you know, if, they, if the far left takes over, there's going to be a big problem. Look at the polls, right? This is a poll that was conducted uh, in 2016, by GBA Strategies on behalf of the Progressive Change Institute is a serious, solid poll by a reputable polling company. These are positions that Stephanie Rule and, and many of the others on the on, on MSNBC and and I, I have great admiration for her as a reporter and as a uh, as a you know a former uh, financial person. I mean you know she's she's great, but she's wrong on this. You know talking about the the far left in the Democratic Party. These are your far-left positions and how much support they have in the United States, which would indicate that they're actually centrist positions, not far-left positions. Do you want to allow the government to negotiate drug prices? 79% of Americans say yes. Should students get the same low interest rates as big banks? In other words, student loans at 1% or 2% instead of 7 or 9%. 78% of Americans say yes. Should we have universal free pre-kindergarten? 77% of Americans say yes. Should we have fair trade that protects workers, the environment, and jobs rather than the so-called free trade? 75% of Americans say yes. This is of all parties, right? Should we end tax loopholes that, that for corporations that ship jobs overseas? By the way, those loopholes were just expanded with the Republican tax scam. Should we end those loopholes? 74% of Americans say yes. Should we end gerrymandering? 73% of Americans say yes. Should we allow Medicare for all? Single-payer health care in the United States. Now, again, you know, the morning shows on MSNBC would characterize that as an extreme left position. 71% of Americans say yes. By the way, every other developed country in the world has already done this. It's not rocket science. Should we disclose corporate spending on politics and lobbying? Transparency. 71% of Americans say yes. Should the NSA be required to get warrants before they spy on us? 71% say yes. Should we spend $400 billion a year, a modest sum, on infrastructure projects? Right? I mean, this is, this is Bernie Sanders. 71% of Americans say yes. Should we have debt-free college at all public universities? 71% of Americans say yes. S Stephanie and others, this is not the far left. This is the center of America. Should we expand Social Security benefits? 70% of Americans say yes. 
should we have a full employment act? Should the government be the employer of last resort, as Franklin Roosevelt was the last president to do with the WPA and the CCC when, when capitalism fails, like it did in 2008, and hundreds of the millions of people are thrown out of work, 700,000 people a month for month after month for a year. Should the government step in and say, if you can't find a job, we will create a job for you? 70% of Americans say yes. Should we retrain coal miners and oil workers for clean energy jobs? In other words, should we be promoting clean energy? Wins. So 70% of Americans say yes. Should we end tax deductions for fines that Wall Street bankers pay when they rip us off? Did you know that, that they can deduct that, the fines that they pay? 70% of Americans say yes, of course. This is just common sense. These are all, you know, should, the, should we have transparency in trade negotiations? 66% of Americans say yes. Should tipped workers get the full, uh, full minimum wage? 64% of Americans say yes. Should we eliminate the electoral college? 65% of Americans say yes. Should community college be free nationwide? 63% of Americans say yes. Should all corporate political spending be required to be approved by shareholders? 66% of Americans say yes. Should you require a special prosecutor in every case that a police officer kills someone? 61% of Americans say yes. Should we guarantee net neutrality? Now, keep in mind, this was two years ago this study was done. The support for net neutrality has gone up since then, because back then, most people didn't even know what it was. 61% of Americans say yes, guarantee net neutrality. These are not far-left positions. This is the center of America. When someone says, what do Democrats stand for? Just rip that list off, Laura. That's what Democrats stand for. You can't just be against Donald Trump. You know, we spend too much time worried about his base. However solid, they are still only 30%. And those few Republicans who are now declared themselves independence because the shame is so great that they closet themselves into a Republican support group. We're independents. We're not Republicans like the Joe Scarboroughs of the world. Now, after holding Donald Trump's hand through the primary, now he sees what a clown this motherfucker has been, and I'm sorry I used that word, but that's exactly what he is. That's exactly what he is. And it does absolutely no good for anyone. No good for anyone to support these people. If you don't understand it, I'm simply trying to explain it to you. Yes, capitalism fell in 2008. If you weren't paying attention, the stock market went down to six, what was it, 65, 72, when Barack Obama came into office. The banks were about to go under, but for what? Why didn't the banks go under? Socialists came riding to the rescue. But don't. But don't, but they all took the government money, did they not? I was all for letting them collapse. 
and nationalizing banks, state banks, web of debt, Ellen Brown. If you don't know the work, Google Ellen Brown, web of debt, North Dakota, state bank. And quickly, just, just, just state banks. Those are banks run by the state. There has never been a state in the history of this nation that has gone bankrupt. Now think about that. Think about that. Not one state in the nation I've ever heard of. And if one has, let me know. Because right now, North Dakota, little bitty North Dakota, small population, they have the only state bank in the nation. And they have a surplus. They're prosperous. State bank is simply banking all of your revenue of the state. All of the revenue that you receive, the taxes, the fines, the water bills, all of the revenue that a state receives, it banks themselves. Fractionalized banking allows you to loan seven times what you have on hand. That's what City, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, that's what they all do nationwide. But because they're corporate banks, fractionalized banking is allowed. And then they become too big to fail. If every state had a state bank, if every they could finance their own infrastructure repair, they could finance their own schools, they could finance their own colleges. When they asked Bernie Sanders, how is he going to give free health care and free college to people? He had no answer. And they swooned in on that and um, basically nullified his message and framed his message as socialism. A state bank allows you to bank your own revenue from the state. Therefore, you can pay your own way. You don't need the federal help. What will it do? It will take out of play. It will completely take out of play insurance companies for health for profit. It will take out of play the power of the banks. It will also take out of play the federal reserve. And it will take out the Federal Reserve because there will be no reason to have it. Oh, wow. It's almost time for me to go anyway. I will. Uh, I want to say um, thank you to Otis for his call. And while, before I leave, I want to wish Janice Grandma happy retirement. She's at a retirement party. She couldn't join us this evening. She's out having a good time, a live band, a dance floor, 
she had to get all gussied up and and beautiful to attend her uh her retirement party. This is a retirement party that her family is is throwing for her. And um I wanna congratulate Janice on her retirement and um hopefully you can understand if you will, why Janice isn't able to join us tonight. Um, hopefully I can do this next week. But continue to watch Robert Mueller as he closes in on this clown, at, this, at these people who don't, uh, who don't get it, who simply don't and won't get it. If we don't take a stand, we will fall for any and everything. For the people who say Robert Mueller and Russia, 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 look at what it's produced. Look at what it's produced. Over 100 charges, over 30 indictments, over five guilty pleas. If we can, if we can take it to a retaking of the house, we can get a sense of a better investigation. We will be able to say, look at these people. This is what they're doing. And it will be literally a shoeing. So I'll simply say to all of you, like I always say to all of you, when injustice becomes law, Resistance becomes due. Take care of yourselves. And until next week, if I can do this again, you will see it posted on my Facebook page of TruthWorks Networks, the Alpha Show, and my personal Facebook page. And it will be on Twitter. Alpha08. Follow me on Twitter. Until next week, good people. I'll have to leave you with, I'll have to, I'll I'll tell you like this. It's coming to be one of my favorites. Everybody thinks we're wrong. Who are they to judge us? Simply call the street where I hang on. Founded on genocide, 
and built built on the back of slaves. All right. Um, so so we started with a racial problem. We want we tried to el actually eliminate one entire race, and then we used another race to build this country actually quite quickly as a new country into a world power. This country never would have had the wealth that it had had it not had slavery for a couple of hundred years. But I say to white people, look, you didn't do it. You say, yeah, that's right. We, we didn't have nothing to do with slavery. Yeah, but because of slavery, when you immigrants came here, America was already built with the blood, the sweat of my ancestors. So you got what you got because your fathers gave us what they gave us. One mistake that's often made is showing how the South, the Confederacy, acquired their wealth off of the back of our ancestors. And even then, it's reduced to just a few slave owners who saw a real benefit. No. Chattel slavery of blacks benefited the South, but just as much it benefited the North and all of America and its many European immigrants. America's economic structure was propelled by its dominant export sold throughout the world, cotton. This one crop provided over half of all U.S. export earnings, and by 1840, 60% of the world's cotton was grown, picked, and labored over for free by our ancestors. These plantation owners were raking in money, accumulating great wealth, and never having to pay one dime to their laborers. But the North? The North was just as involved. The North developed a variety of businesses that provided services to the slave South, like textile factories, insurance companies, shippers, and cotton brokers. But it doesn't stop at the slave owner or the businesses that provided the services to the slave system. Banks, yes. Bankers on Wall Street made millions selling goods to the South, along with giving loans and creating banks to finance Southern plantations. And much of this same wealth they still have today. Let me give you some examples. J.P. Morgan and Chase Bank admitted that between the years of 1831 to 1865, two of their predecessor banks, Citizens Bank and Canal Bank in Louisiana, accepted 13,000 slaves as collateral on loans that slave masters defaulted. One of the more successful banking families that built much of their wealth on the slave trade was the Brown family, more commonly known as the Brown Brothers and Harriman Company, which is the oldest and largest private investment bank. The Brown Brothers owned hundreds of slaves. This family dominated the cotton industry. They made a huge fortune by lending millions to southern planters and cotton brokers. Another portion of their wealth came by renting and the sales of slave ships they sold to slave merchants. They served as one of the most important sources of capital in foreign exchange in the U.S. economy. Wachovia Bank, recently acquired by Wells Fargo, 
also profited heavily off of this cruel system. Mayor Rothschild, a German banker and the founder of the Rothschild banking dynasty, which is believed to have become the wealthiest family in human history, made enormous gains by using our ancestors as collateral. The insurance industry also saw great benefits from slavery. Companies like AIG, Aetna, New York Life were the forerunners in this industry. But see, it's also very important to note that these same plantation owners and business owners would donate large sums of this wealth in order to train their children and the next generation on containing the wealth. For example, Harvard. Harvard was built due to large amounts of money given by Isaac Royal, a plantation owner in the Caribbean islands of Antigua, who made a massive fortune off of his many sugar plantations. Yale? Yale was able to build its famous library and establish its prestigious scholarship program. Princeton! By the mid-1700s, many of its students were sons of plantation owners. Brown University, named after the famous slave owner banker, the Brown Brothers. A large portion of this campus was built with slave labor. And these are just a few of the many institutions that was built with slave money. See, these men would be looked at as great businessmen, philanthropists. But in actuality, they were securing the wealth of their future by training and educating the next generation that would take over their plantations and their businesses and even become government officials responsible for creating laws, regulations, and policies that would keep blacks fighting for human rights and access to this stolen wealth for decades. For decades after slavery, blacks have fought against unequal education which is a sure way of ensuring wealth disparities. We fought grandfather clauses to prevent us from affecting government in ways that could transfer wealth. Land grants, free land issued from the government that blacks were restricted from. The black codes, housing restrictions, redlining and FDA guarantee loans, predatory bank lending, Convict leasing, which utilized black labor but does not transfer the wealth. I wish that I could say that this wealth disparity in America was isolated only in America, but it's not. All the wealth that was generated that helped to make Britain great, so-called, the British Empire, all of this came from enslavement and colonialism and ill-gotten gains. And it links to this modern discussion around inequality and the huge gap between the nations, not only in terms of Britain and Europe, but also the rest of the world, and in particular, Africa and the Caribbean. The truth is, this is the same scenario across every colonized land. Today, as a people, we fight for the Confederate flags to come down. We even fight for people to stop using the word nip. Right. or other forms of bigotry to not be used. But we've been duped into believing that it's absolutely foolish to continue to fight for reparations. 
Many of us don't recognize the direct ties between the past and the wealth that was carried into today. Our ancestors were forced to invest in this economy without ever receiving a return. Unlike Jews, reparations were never paid to slaves or their descendants to help balance out this unjustified wealth. But understand that the reason our ancestors were enslaved was not for the purpose of being able to call us a... Right. It was not even for the purpose of being able to raise a slave flag. No. All of the killing, the torturing, dehumanizing, inhumane treatment all boiled down to one reason. Wealth. It was all business. Understand that. I know that our brother Martin did. I still have a dream. Not that one. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, Today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. 